I'm Reg Harbick, and today I'm here with Enzo D'Amato, who is in his senior year of high school and has his own mainframe, a uh, Z114, or as I like to say, Z114. Uh, Enzo, uh, or sorry, Enzo, um, tell us, uh, how did you end up with your own mainframe? Well, uh, I first I got first got interested in computers when I was a really young kid. Uh, someone gave me a bunch of old surplus servers. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, and I'd been messing around with those ever since. Along my journey, I eventually bumped into uh, Connor Krakowski's talk, where he described how he got a mainframe and he got it set up for uh, for share, and I saw his presentation. And I thought the tech looked really interesting. At first, because I was little, I thought, oh, this is really cool. It's so big. you know. And then as I got mm-hmm. older, I started that initial interest propelled me to do more research into the platform. And I started discovering all the really cool things that the mainframe could do. Uh, I started participating in the Master the Mainframe competitions, you know, and challenges um, and decided that I wanted to take it to the next level and start looking for my own machine. Um, I started trawling eBay and the other government surplus sites for a few years. Uh, I found many machines that have been that had been bricked or damaged or, you know, otherwise made non-functional, um, you know, usually by the support elements being removed. Uh, until I eventually found uh, one machine on eBay that was still intact, that wasn't in some crazy location that I can actually get shipped to me, uh, and that was generally in good condition, reasonably recent, and all around a, would be a fit for what I was hoping to use it for. Uh, after mm-hmm. much convincing of my parents and many mm-hmm. questions, um, we decided to go ahead with it. I got the mainframe. I arranged and organized freight shipping, and I got it trucked up to my house, and then began the project of setting it up, uh, you know, connecting power, connecting data lines, and mm. programming it. You know, I initially started off, you know, I had around uh, two months of programming time before share. You know, I started off by just doing IOCDS and getting it to power on reset, um, and then mm. put on Linux built my own fiber channel SAN so I could do storage. So did that, put on put Linux on top of it to make sure it was all working. Then started working with VM and the other mainframe specific technologies. I got a VM installation up and running, a VSEN installation up and running on top of that. And mm-hmm. currently I'm working on getting a ZOS system up and running. Cool. Uh, now, that that's such an interesting journey for me because the fact is you actually started from the theory and moved into the practice. You know, uh, I'm, I'm one of these mainframers who learned uh, Unix and such, uh, but when I moved on to the mainframe, I had learned really much at all about the mainframe, and so I had to learn in at work about the mainframe. Uh, and so I think it's really interesting how you'd actually spent years, it sounds like, learning uh, about the the mainframe before getting your own mainframe. Tell me about the, your experience with Master the Mainframe. How did you find it, and and how did you find it? <laughs> uh, I found it from the R mainframe subreddit. Uh, oh. So I had gone there because, you know, uh, initially to view Connor's progress about his machine because I saw mm-hmm. some of his posts, you know, and then mm-hmm. I think, well, I might as well stay on here. I'm pretty, it's pretty interesting and I want to, you know, stay up to date. So, you know, stayed on that, you know, found the Terminal Talk podcast, some other good stuff. Uh, saw some people give away machines, unfortunately, not in mm-hmm. my country. But, um, you know, and then I eventually saw someone posting about the opening events of the mainframe, thought, hey, this looks pretty interesting. I should check it out. Um, I did, and I got started, you know. 
Now, I understand that uh, both uh, Kata Krakowski and Sebastian Wind, both of whom have done this podcast, by the way, um, are both mentors of yours. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, were you talking to both of them before you had your mainframe? Um, no. And I actually, it's kind of funny. I only really started talking to both of them after I'd already gotten it most mostly set up. Um, oh. You know, uh, Connor, I did manage to chat with. Uh, we exchanged a few emails after I had gotten it set up, gotten it physically in the house, you know, about mm. IOCDS and some other hardware uh, oddities that he was able to help me with. Mm. Uh, I actually only met Sebastian Wind at Share a few a few weeks ago. Um, uh, yeah, I also had talked with uh, Christian Svensson. Um, uh, he's not, you know, young like me, but he also has a, main, a personal mainframe. And his blog entries were very helpful during the process. Um, also working with, um, you know, Connor was great because I met up with him when I was doing my tour at the IBM Poughkeepsie Lab. And we just got the chat about the mainframe generally and some good ideas of what to do now that I have a basic functioning system. You know, because I've done, the mainframe is a huge platform. And I've only, you know, just reached the entry level of having a functioning system. You know, now is the real fun of getting to mess with all the software and stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, one of the things that I'm sure you've already discovered in many ways is that the mainframe uh, is unique compared to any other uh, computing system in general use out there, beginning with the code page. You know, that the EBCDIC kind of is a bit of a mind twister to get used to it. Uh, what are some of the things you found that you had to basically learn brand new, even though you're already new computing? Uh, things I had to learn brand new. Uh, honestly, the most jarring thing for me was the command syntax. You know, mm. it's so used to, you know, Linux commands, uh, having to, you know, learn the whole new set for VM and, of course, you know, ZOS mm. stuff was an adjustment for me. You know, not a not a hard adjustment, but certainly different. Um, you know, obviously 3270 isn't that big of an adjustment. It's just a different type of terminal. But, right. you know, the different programming languages is also a bit of an adjustment. I mean... You know, obviously, you're always learning new languages as you go along, and not even the COBOL stuff, but just the, you know, scripting and recs, you know, the uh, structure, the way the execs are set up, you know, xedit versus vim, you know, just a lot of those mm. you know, user land utilities. Because I'm always learning new stuff and new systems and whatnot, but it's, uh, you know, it's all used to be on top of something I was familiar with. So I always, always knew how the commands would be done. You know, changing it up, well, it certainly hasn't been the hardest part of what I'm doing. It's been the most unfamiliar. Now, the hardware itself, I mean, the, the, I, I know a number of software jokes, and one of my favorite ones is how many computer programmers does it take to change a light bulb, to which the answer is none. That's a hardware problem. You didn't have that option. You had to deal with the hardware as well. Uh, what are some of the interesting lessons learned and challenges you had with actually getting the hardware right? Uh, it's always bigger than you think it is, would be mm. the first yeah. Um, yeah, it turns out our doors were built around half an inch under code. Uh, oh. Didn't fit until we ripped the weather stripping straight off the door. So, Oh, wow. But it got in. So, yeah. Mm. Um, and so that also adding cards to the machine, the I.O. cards, uh, mm. gave me a bit of a headache. I thought, you know, just like a PC, you turn it off and you plug the cards in, they'll appear when you turn it back on. Uh, oh. Turns out go under in the support element you have to go under service and concurrently add and remove hardware uh and you have to do it that way otherwise the cards won't work when you install them 
other, you know, hardware issues were fiber optic uh, compatibility, you know, you know, like working out. Turns out one gig and 10 gig OSAs aren't compatible, even though they're the same wavelength. Oh, oh that sort of thing. Um, I'm pretty used to hardware, though. Uh, right next to me, actually, I have a, you know, open system server cluster complete with, you know, 10 gig networking and fiber and stuff like that. So I had known, you know, a decent amount what to expect working with, you know, bigger, weirder hardware without support contracts. But, uh, you know, it was still a it was still working with the mainframe, you know, the support element, the hardware management console, the way the initial program load is done, channel I.O., mm. you know, was all different. None of it was particularly nasty. I mean, I've worked with software that's a lot nastier than the you know hardware work I had to do to get uh, this machine set up. But, uh, you know, just an adjustment to the different way of doing things on the mainframe versus on open systems. It sounds like one of the things you've uh, done quite well is learn the language of the mainframe because you're, you're just comfortably moving back and forth between boot and IPL and POR. Uh, you know, um, just all, all those... There must be quite a few mainframe words you've have to learn uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, yeah, I've learned a decent chunk of the mainframe words. Um, not obviously not all of them, but uh, you read enough PDFs and you start mm -hmm. to pick up the vocabulary. And also, oh, yeah. I have a folder on my desk of all the PDFs I've downloaded from IBM. It's several hundred currently. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of learning. Now, um, one of the interesting things about doing something like this, there's always going to be challenges. And somehow those challenges sometimes become advantages. And one of the ways that you've actually had a challenge that you've turned into an advantage, uh, you were telling me beforehand, is that you've actually been able to, to uh, work through Asperger's in order to get a uh, uh, probably even a better quality result. Uh, any thoughts you'd like to share about that? Uh, just a message to anyone else with Asperger's. You can do it. It's not an insurmountable mm. obstacle. Presenting in front of a group of people isn't an insurmountable obstacle. Neither is working with others. You know, mm. it's can be kind of intimidating having to, you know, step outside your comfort zone, you know, present, mm. you know, ask for help. But the results and the benefits are worth it, uh, especially, mm. especially in the long run. Uh, although we'd all like to think we're all, you know, work best alone. And even if you do enjoy working alone, you still do need other people because there is always going to be something you don't know. And you can either search through 10,000 pages of PDF yourself or ask for help, you know, mm. and help is usually faster. And mm. even with that, people are surprisingly wonderful, especially in mainframe, mm. you know, yeah. for help, um, you know, asking for software, asking to work with people or questions. A lot of people are really happy to show off what they've done and really happy to help you with your project, you know, so, you have Asperger's, don't be afraid. You can do it. Oh, very cool. I know uh, seeing you at uh, Share recently, and uh, it was kind of neat because I, I had this distinct impression that everybody around you felt like they were your big brother or sister. You know, and just you're you're just automatically part of the family, and, and it was just so neat to see how everyone was just happy to have you there. Um, obviously, there's there's other aspects of the culture as well that that one encounters, uh, and and part of those is is the culture of the operating system, the environment, and it's implicit. I know that you mentioned Linux as being the first operating system you put on the mainframe. Uh, and I'm curious uh, what your feeling is about the experience of Linux on the mainframe, you know, which particular hypervisor, and how that contrasts with, with VM as a hypervisor and VSE and, and maybe ZOS. Um, so Linux was my first choice to put on only because I was familiar with the error codes. And mm. I 
needed to debug my storage because I knew it wasn't mm. working, but I didn't know what the problem was. So I knew that I knew the Linux error codes and I could work through the problem that way. Uh, but comparing hypervisors, most of my open system stuff runs under Proxmox, which is uh, uh, QUEMU or QEMU uh, based hypervisor. Um, on on the mainframe, I chose to go with you know VM because I wanted to learn VM's based system too. Uh, the most interesting, obviously, the most interesting difference for me was how VM is built from the ground up to be a hypervisor mm. instead of it being added on top of the you know like the user land utilities. You know, with VM, mm. every account, everything being a virtual machine, everything, you know, mm. there's no such a, a single user VM system. You know, that was a very interesting change. And it's interesting how the mainframe has sort of been built for virtualization from the ground up. Um, mm. Obviously, compared to the uh, compared to the other operating systems, uh, I've noticed, though, that the mainframe operating systems seem to be a lot more tightly integrated. Then on Linux, mm -hmm. where everything is a separate module. Now, obviously, that has its pros and cons. I mean, the pros are that everything, there's no weird version incompatibility between different things that, you know, leave you scratching your head. Like, my biggest challenge getting the mainframe set up wasn't actually on the mainframe side. It was on the Linux side. The software I was using to create my SAN was genuinely, like, awful. Because the kernel version and the program version had to act exactly match. And the correct versions weren't shipped in the repositories. So it was oh. hours of reading cryptic kernel logs to try and figure out what the problem was. And then installing the patch kernel. And then the software was still broken. So going and patching it itself, you know, I just haven't had those experiences on the mainframe so far. But on the other hand, you only get one text editor. You know, so a lot tighter integration, a lot tighter packaging of utilities. Uh and therefore, obviously, less bugs, but with the con of having less flexibility and less choice in getting the system set up. Now, you're probably using XEdit and Rex a fair amount? Yeah. Uh, have you had a chance to look at Zoe? I gather you're not doing ZOS yet, so maybe you haven't had too uh, much Zoe exposure. Oh, unfortunately, my ZOS system is halfway finished right now. Um, yeah, I've been working with IBM on this. So far, I've gotten the customized offering driver. I haven't gotten the server pack to install it yet. Uh, apparent my machine only runs up to ZOS 2.2, and apparently they're trying mm. to find the installation images because they don't have them on the servers anymore because it's out of support. Uh, I'm expecting to receive that sometime soon, TM. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be getting it soon. Everyone at IBM has been really helpful in terms of getting me mm. what I need, but I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, when I do get it, though, uh, I have a loaner FlexCub unit from Gary Elman at Fundamental Software. Uh, I can keep that to the end of the year for ZOS installation. After that, obviously, I'm going to have to find another solution for CKD DASD. So when I do get that, I'm obviously going to install Zoe on that, install all the other, you know, modern mainframe goodies, you know, language support and all that stuff and start playing with it. Now, by this time, you probably have a pretty good idea of things that aren't there that you think should be there, whether or not they're on other platforms, just ideally should be there. Do you have some things that maybe you yourself would like to innovate or you just wish somebody else would? Uh, stuff directly on the mainframe. Well, I think that the I think that the biggest thing the mainframe, mainframe platform needs right now is a hobbyist program. I know that's mm. not really a feature, but, you know, IBM has a ton of really cool technology that they just won't, you know, let go of. There's always talk of the mainframe skill shortage, you know, 
how they need more people in mainframe. You know, my first ever experience with Linux is because I wanted to play Minecraft with my friends. You know, Minecraft, actually, someone did this, runs under ZOS on the mainframe. If they had a hobbyist program, I could have downloaded a ZOS emulator and been running ZOS for my Minecraft server and had that experience from age, you know, from when I was in fifth grade instead of Linux. You know, the outreach is done getting new people into a computer platform is done far before college, sometimes even before high school. It's done when you're in your formative years and you want to do your first cool project. You saw an article about some awesome technology or some really cool thing that you want to do. And the mainframe is not at a shortage of cool stuff to run on the platform. It's at a mm-hmm. shortage of people knowing about the cool stuff. Like recently this year, I was at the DEF CON convention, you know, uh, the big cybersecurity conference out in Vegas. And I had the opportunity to meet with another mainframer who had been on the platform for around three years. And he didn't know that you could run Python or Node on the mainframe. You know, and I'm like, and like I was telling him about all the cool stuff they were doing. And he was like, oh, that's really interesting. I thought you could only run, you know, COBOL and Java. You know, like that happens because for, you know, reasons that are totally justifiable, banks don't want developers just messing around in their production environments. But with Linux, you can just download it, slap it on a $5 computer, you know, a Raspberry Pi. And if things go wrong, You know, even if you manage to completely fry the hardware, you've lost 20 bucks, you know, with I think that the main the biggest thing you could do for the mainframe is to allow more people to experiment and mess around with it A at a young age when they don't have either parents who can accommodate, you know, a mm-hmm. computer or, you know, or the ability to go out and try and, you know, find something and scavenge together a hardware solution. I think getting people in early and letting them do cool stuff and play with the mainframe and create community packages, community support for all that stuff would really help the platform a lot. Because I, you know, you always have a list of features that are too small for any corporation to sell as a solution, but also really important. You know, and this is what the Linux package management has done really well. You know, there are a few thousand Linux package management tools that are just simple commands that allow you to do stuff like number lines in a report. You know, you couldn't sell that, but it's still a really helpful feature when you need it. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all really cool insights. I really uh, think that's uh, instructive. Um, I, I know we've, we've been at this conversation for quite a long time. It feels like it's gone so quickly. It's been so interesting. Um, but I'd like to ask if there's other things you'd especially like to share with us, or uh, at the very least, some thoughts you have about where the mainframe is at and where it should be going. Well, obviously, I get my thoughts on the hobbyist program. I would also highly recommend continuing to really work on AI. And mm. on the mainframe, AI is going to be a really big part of any future oh, yeah. platform. And I've often found with distributed servers that when you have a large AI model or a large AI workload, you know, it just really becomes inefficient because you can't even run it on like a VM or whatever because it's too big. You know, and the mainframe mm-hmm. really has that advantage of being a large system that can really handle those big AI workloads and the real-time training mm-hmm. you know, and all that other stuff. So I continue to advise focus there. I would also advise the people working on the mainframe to not lose focus on their core technologies. Like IMS mm-hmm. and Kicks are really good. You don't want to abandon those just to chase the latest fad. Instead, take that mm-hmm. and combine it with the new stuff. Create a Kicks mm-hmm. API Python uh, for Node, you know, that allow you to use those amazing technologies that have been so powerful and are so and run the world basically. And mm-hmm. instead of replacing them, instead allow you to modernize them. You know, they always talk about modernizing. 
you know, I don't really think that should mean dumping what you have. I think that should right. mean the best parts of what you have, you know, and improving it with modern technologies so that it's easier to maintain and can use some of the newer stuff. Hmm. You know, and I would also say just as a personal note, if anyone here has any DASD they don't need anymore, I have experience hmm. shipping large items. Please contact me. <laughs> and how how would you like people to contact you? Uh, do you have to use your email address or? Yeah, uh, I'm running a blog actually that I just started with all of the notes, not only from the past you know five or six years of open system stuff, but also all the new stuff I'm going to be doing on mainframe. Uh, like I said, there's a real lack of community content. I'm hoping to remedy that by creating you know a ton more stuff that I'm doing personally. You know, a lot of people are reaching out and helping me get out set up with, you know, really cool enterprise software. I'm going to want to create blog entries on that and all the other cool stuff I'm doing on the mainframe. You know, so my blog, enterpriselab.dev, is where the, all of this stuff is going to be posted. Uh, and if you want to contact me, my email is just enzo at enterpriselab.dev. Uh, that'll go straight through to my cool. inbox. And yeah. Um, Great. Well, I typed those up, so I'll put them on the transcript as well. Uh, you are going to say, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I just got home from Cher around a week ago. Um, Cher was through the, I think, the 27th. Uh, the first blog entry just went up today on the 2nd of September, and I'm hoping to add around a new article every week. So, awesome. yes, and I'm going to be putting all the cool stuff I've done up. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see what you do in the world of mainframe. I think you've got a, an important uh, career ahead of you. And I, uh, we're, we're all sort of looking at our, our little brother who's got big potential. And uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, uh, my pleasure. It was really great getting an opportunity to chat with you as well. So I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter, webinars, ebooks, solutions, directories, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harvin.